This is The Structuring Podcast. Hello and welcome back. This is episode 68 of The Structuring Podcast. Terry W. here and today's topic is related party loans. All right, a related party loan is just a, a loan where the lender and the borrower are somehow related. It can be a adult child borrowing from their parents. It could be someone lending a related company money, or it could be someone actually helping out their parents lending their money. Why would you want to do a related party loan? Well, it might be necessary. You might set up a, a company that's going to operate a business. That company is going to start off with no money or very small sums. So it has to get funding from somewhere. And probably the the best source of funding is from the shareholders or, or the person behind the company. So in order to get money into the company, it probably should not be a gift. It should be a loan. And the reason for that is um, if the company fails, the lender might be able to claim a capital loss. And it's still very good to distinguish between a loan and a gift. Without a a written loan agreement, it could be construed as a gift. And getting money back from a company that you had gifted it could actually be taxed on the way out. So it's necessary to fund a, a new company or a new trust even. But other ways in which you can use related party loans is is between spouses or other family members. So take the example of a parent who wants to help their adult child into their first property. They often might gift a uh, small or a large sum of money which will be used as the deposit for a purchase. Instead of gifting, the parent might actually lend the child money and that loan can be used as an asset protection device And later on, if the child becomes bankrupt or gets into a family law property settlement, that's potentially less money or less assets that fall into the hands of creditors or spouses. It also enables the parents to gain or maintain some sort of control and the the money remains there. So the child could be forced to pay it back at a later date. And then from an estate planning angle, it could be preferable for the the adult child to inherit the money back, perhaps via a testamentary discretionary trust. And that can be more tax effective overall for the family. Another example is where, let's say two spouses want to invest and spouse A is on a high tax bracket, spouse B is not working and they want to invest in the name of spouse B. And the reason to do that is because any income generated will be taxed in the hands of spouse B who doesn't pay any tax and can potentially earn up to 20 grand a year and not pay tax. So spouse A could lend spouse B some money to do that. Normally spouses don't contract with each other, but they can do so. However, they would need to keep their money separate to do this. So if all the money went into one account, you're basically borrowing your own money if you know spouse A lends to spouse B. So you want to keep your, your money separate. And it would only need to be a loan perhaps if you keep your finances separate. There may be no tax advantage if spouse A is lending spouse B cash. But let's say spouse B owns a property, sells the property and has a large sum of money from the sale. 
Spouse A may wish to purchase a negatively geared investment and spouse B could actually lend them the money at a a relatively high interest rate. So that gets spouse A the ability to claim more interest on their tax. The same amount of money will go to spouse B. For example, if there's $10,000 interest, that's $10,000 paid to spouse B, which is income. So spouse B is taxed on that. However, spouse B has no other income, so there's no tax payable. But if spouse A was on the top marginal tax rate, they get an extra 10 grand deduction, which puts about $4,700 in their pocket in the first year. So it can be a way to shift income from one person to another. However, there's lots of um, tax issues plus legal issues to consider there. So don't try it without legal advice. It is a scheme, but it could be an acceptable scheme where the money originated with spouse B and it was under a written agreement on market rates and terms. And there's actually a few ATO private rulings where they have said this. So when doing related party loans, you you have to consider several things such as family law, death, incapacity, a breakdown in the relationship, asset protection, and the Limitations Act, amongst other things. A loan without any transactions for six years in New South Wales could potentially become unenforceable. That's where the Limitations Act comes in into play. So legal advice is needed. You will need written loan agreements. Only solicitors can prepare written contracts. Go to your tax agent for the tax side of things and your solicitor for the legal side. All right, that's it for this week. And until next week, bye for now. You've been listening to The Structuring Podcast. Check out the show notes for today's episode at www.structuring.com.au forward slash podcast.